Let's pray as we begin. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Psalm 51, uh, written by David in the 10th century BC, as so many of these psalms that we're working through this summer have been. Uh, If you're like me, you're probably accustomed to reading the psalms for their worshipful, prayerful poetry, for their beauty, kind of devotionally. But Psalm 51 reminds us that the psalms actually have a distinct historical background that makes the words even more real and, and raw and rooted. David, the writer of this psalm, was the king of Israel, the only really good king in the very short-lived United Kingdom. There were only three kings in this kingdom. He was the only one that could be considered good. He was wise. He was honorable. He was just. He seems quite charismatic. For him and him alone is reserved a designation in Scripture, a title that I think we could all aspire to, a man after God's own heart. That's pretty good, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine if that's how people spoke about you, a man or a woman after God's own heart? That's how they identified you. I have a tough time thinking that people would say that about me because I know me, right? I know my sins and my shortcomings. Surely someone like me could not be considered a man after God's own heart if you knew my full story. But then read Psalm 51 again, and you realize that this is written in the midst of David's own moral tailspin. That's when this psalm is written. David is smitten with a woman. Her name is Bathsheba. He sees her bathing from from high up above on the hill. He sees her bathing on a rooftop, and he summons her to his bed, and he leaves her with a child in the womb. And his efforts to cover up this sin leave a wake of chaos and tragedy that affect an entire nation. A deceitful conspiracy, a husband killed, a child stillborn, lies upon lies upon lies. And here David is an older and broken man, only a shadow now of that shepherd boy, and he cries out to God. But notice he does not cry out in pious words, Oh God, how could you let this happen to me? But he cries out to God in in contrite words. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That is a man after God's own heart. And as we've stated already in this series, the Psalms is our opportunity as well to bring our most honest selves to God. And David does that here. Psalm 51 is a beautiful psalm of repentance. But I want to center in on one line of it this morning as we focus. We could preach through this psalm for the rest of the summer. I just want to focus mostly on one line, and it's this line. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. That line has long haunted me uh, because it challenges my understanding of the Holy Spirit. It challenges Jesus' own words to his disciples when he promises them an advocate the Holy Spirit who will never, ever leave them, will always be with them. So I wanted to take a look at this psalm this Sunday and talk about the Holy Spirit. Psalm 51 is the best place to start. It's the most blatant Holy Spirit language in the psalms. But more so, 
I wanted to do some work to reconcile Jesus' promise and this spirit that he promises us and David's plea, do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Those are opposing statements, right? And I typically resist any sort of argument that says, well, that's the Old Testament and, and the Old Testament way, way is just superseded by Jesus, so David's plea doesn't really apply to us. I believe that David's understanding of the Holy Spirit and its role in the midst of human life still has value and it still helps us understand how he lived as a man after God's own heart. So I want to look at that line. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. What could David actually be saying here? And I came up with with three options. Three options. The first is, we could take it literally. And that is to say that David has an understanding of the Holy Spirit and, and God's Spirit being given to him. And he is concerned that because of the prevalence of sin in his life, it's ultimately going to lead to God saying, uh, there's too much sin here, I have to remove my Holy Spirit from you from your life. This is the most simplistic answer. It's pretty linear, uh, but it also falls flat pretty quickly, I think. Here's a response to anything we read in Scripture. Does my reading of this text remain consistent with the character of God exemplified in the person of Jesus Christ? Anything we read, we can say, does this text remain consistent with the character of God exemplified in the person of Jesus Christ? If the answer is no, then we need to read it again, and we need to rethink it. We need to think more deeply. The Apostle Paul says, Nothing high, deep, wide, or shallow, no, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And Jesus says that his spirit will will be with his followers always. It will never leave them. So to say that the presence of the Holy Spirit is withheld or taken away based on our sin doesn't seem consistent with the God that I know or that we see in Scripture. So, to option number two. We can take this just as a figurative text. It's poetry, right? I mean, it's poetry after all. These are the words of a distressed man. He's emotional. It's an emotional outburst. He's a leader in crisis. We shouldn't really be trying to build our our theology around these kinds of words. The problem with that is that this is in our Bible, And we believe that this is the inspired word of God, and it's authoritative for our lives. Now, the Bible does smack of humanity, yes, but it also speaks truth to us from beginning to end. Remember that these psalms, they were the hymnal of of God's people for thousands of years, the words that they formed their faith and theology around. So I believe that these words should be lived in the same way by us as well. We, we can't afford to take these words just figuratively if we want to take God's word seriously. So we have to go to a third option. And here's the third option. Maybe David is saying, God, please don't let me end up like my predecessor. A little bit of context here. So the first king of Israel, of that united kingdom of Israel, was King Saul. He was tall. He was uh, well-spoken, he was good-looking, he was a brash conqueror, so brash, in fact, that he had a penchant for making sacrifices to lesser gods that God specifically said he should not make. In 1 Samuel 16, it gets so bad that it says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. From that moment on, In Saul's story, he becomes a shell of himself, a shell of this king. He's paranoid, he's anxious, he's manic, he's even murderous. So when David prays, 
take not thy Holy Spirit from me, I think he's really praying, Lord, spare me from a life and a heart like Saul's because I've seen that movie before and it doesn't end well. But let's go a little bit deeper here because I just read a text that's even more disturbing than the idea in Psalm 51, even more uh, uh, out of sorts with, with God's character. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. That's kind of scary stuff, right? What is that about? Now God isn't just taking away his spirit, but he's sending evil spirits to people? But again, it doesn't seem to mesh with the character of God exemplified in Jesus Christ. So what do we do? We dig a little bit deeper. The Bible frequently refers to acts of deserved punishment that God has inflicted upon his people throughout history. He brought a worldwide flood in Genesis 6 through 9 due to insistent human wickedness and depravity. He repeatedly warned people of this impending disaster. He gave them ample opportunity to repent and to turn from their ways. Let's not lose sight of the fact that God is merciful, but he is also just. Persistent darkness cannot stand before him and survive unending. And just as we don't hold judges in our country culpable for the actions of those they are judging, so too with God, we as humans will always be free to choose life or death. But God is always just. And he won't stand for sin forever. In this case, Saul was afflicted with an evil spirit as a punishment for his insistent defiance of God's will. This was not a one-time slip-up for Saul. It wasn't just a bad week. It wasn't an oops that he had. Saul was persistent in a lifelong pattern of flagrantly disobedient behavior. And he certainly deserved some sort of response from God. Now God, upon seeing these, uh, these, these unworthy disobedient sacrifices that Saul makes, he didn't smite him right away. He didn't wipe him off the face of the earth for his unworthiness. Actually, he mercifully sent the priest and prophet Samuel over and over again with words of counsel and reproach. But Saul would not listen. So God had to do something with his sin. Now, I don't believe that God sent an evil spirit upon Saul. And if we look at the linguistics, we see that this is actually true. In fact, what he did is he honored Saul's free will. And he allowed Saul's disobedience to open him up to that evil. I'm comfortable saying this morning that the evil spirit that came upon Saul was most likely caused by his own bad attitude, his ugly disposition in his mind that was manifested over and over again until it became a habit for him. So please understand the evil in Saul is real. It's not a psychological thing. It's not an emotional thing. But it is one that he welcomed through his own repeated disobedience. Now that might seem a little heavy. You can take a deep breath right now if you want to. Because um, I want to be honest with you. Even as I look at the story of Saul, I relate to that this morning. Uh, let me tell you how. Not in every way, uh, but, but, uh, but I do this morning. For at least three years now, um, I have had constant allergies. Confession. Uh, my family, uh, my staff, uh, they will tell you that I sneeze all day long and that my eyes itch. Uh, as I studied Saul this week, I realized that I have an issue too. It's persistent. And uh, it really came to me last week as I was contemplating 
what I was going to preach this week. Last Sunday, I put my hand in my coat pocket, and there were about 15 ratty used Kleenexes. And I realized that this has been my norm. This has been the way that I've been living for three years now. And I still hadn't seen an allergist. Isn't that crazy? I mean, isn't that dumb? Isn't that ridiculous? I mean, what is wrong with me? I, I suppose that if it was painful, if it was constantly painful, I would, I, would go, I would have gone much earlier. But it doesn't adversely affect my life too much. It might be a little gross, but it's, it doesn't affect me too much. So I just kind of deal with it, right? I share this this morning because it would be disingenuous for me to ask for God to heal my allergies, I mean, he could, he's powerful enough, he could do it right now, but ultimately, I have an avenue to deal with these things in a, in a mature, faithful way. I'm responsible. And here's the scariest thing about that. By not dealing with them, I've become accustomed to sneezing all day long. It's become normal to me. It's normal for me to have a pocket full of Kleenex every day. And that scares me. Not only that, but, but untreated allergies can lead to serious asthma and, and sinus structural damage and stomach ulcers and all sorts of really bad things that could adversely affect my life. And let me ask the question, isn't this so often how we treat sin in our lives? We don't talk about sin hardly at all, right? But I want to be honest with you this morning. Sin persists, and when we don't deal with it, it becomes normal. And if it goes untreated, it causes real problems in our lives because it separates us from God and his spirit. God does not separate himself from us. Our sin separates us from his spirit. Such was certainly the case for Saul. And he bore the responsibility for his own actions. He couldn't blame it on God or some external evil spirit more than I can blame God for my allergies. So a good question is, what's kept me from going to the allergist, right? And this is key to the, to the whole message this morning. I didn't go to the allergist because it's going to be a bunch of shots, and it's going to cost money, and it's going to take time, and the illness kind of feels normal. I don't feel, any, I don't feel a ton of urgency around it. And the truth is that I'm fearful, I'm jaded, I'm lazy, I'm avoidant. It's taken me reading through Psalm 51 over and over again this week to wake me up to this reality. I need to deal with my sinful heart so that I can deal with my sinuses. I need to address my fears and my insecurities and my disobedience, and I need to go to the allergist. I need to get the shots, the meds, the surgery, whatever, endure the pain, and get back to wholeness. And that is just my sinuses, by the way. How much more important are the matters of my heart and my attitude and my soul? If untended, I'll have way bigger problems than sneezing and lots of Kleenex in my pocket. (laughs) So do you get Psalm 51 now? Do you get what this is about? This is David as a firsthand witness to the downfall of Saul. He played the harp for Saul when he was at his most tormented. He was the object of his murderous paranoia. And he doesn't want history to repeat itself. 
So I want to read Psalm 51 again to you with this context in mind. I want you to just hear it. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner, when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. Do you see how David's approach is so opposite to that of Saul's? Saul thought, I can, I can, I can do a sacrifice and, and whatever sins I've committed, I can just cover them up and, and everything is good again. David is different. Saul is just looking at the sin and how to management, manage it. And here, what is David doing? He goes straight to the heart. Straight to the heart. And the heart of his prayer is, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. He's saying, I don't want to be like Saul. I don't want the state of my heart to rot me from the inside out. So create in me a clean heart because without your help, my heart is going to ultimately separate me from your presence, God. If you wondered about a clear connection to Saul, look at verses 16 and 17 that, that, that are up here. For you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give it you an offering, you, you wouldn't be pleased. Sacrifice acceptable to God is what? A broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Saul's issue was that he thought these sacrifices were enough, even the ones that God told him he didn't want. And all the time, what did God want? He wanted his heart. He wanted his brokenness. So, in closing, what do we glean from David's words this morning? Three things. First, I want to just recognize that the Psalms aren't just nice words. These are rooted in place and time with, with, with human souls at stake here. We can't afford to read them in an unemotional, sort of linear way, nor can we dismiss them as just figurative poetry. These are real words, words that spread into the caverns of our hearts and, and, and awaken us because that's why David uttered them in the first place, because he needed these words to penetrate his life and his heart. Second, if it's not already clear, sin is a real problem. Don't dismiss pride or impatience or an unavoidable reality. Don't ask God to help you sweep your bad attitudes or your lustful thoughts under the rug. Don't pretend like your mistreatment of others or discontentment doesn't affect your heart. Not only is sin real, but unresolved sin rots away at our hearts. And if left alone, it collapses the space that's available for God's spirit to work and move in us. David's tailspin began with a wandering eye. What's the tiny sinful behavior that you live with? 
that you don't deal with because it's become normal, yet it separates you from a true relationship with God. We can drown it out, as Paul puts it to the Thessalonians. We can quench the Holy Spirit by our sin, our selfishness, our our overgrown, untended weeds in our souls. So don't minimize sin, lest you become like the mad King Saul. Lastly, let's strive after being people of God's, after God's own heart. But we do this not by being perfect, but by being broken. When I heard that designation of David as a young believer, a man after God's own heart, I, I, I thought it was because he was morally upright, that he, he tapped into the divine goodness of God in a special way and it guided him towards this sort of Superman life, right? But the truth is, Psalm 51 is the greatest example of what it means to be a person after God's own heart that I can think of. Because one who strives after God's own heart means that we ought to constantly join David and say, I've got heart issues. It's not about my goodness. Clean me. Do your creative work again in me. I know you want nothing less than the most broken and honest heart that I can give you because if I'm left on my own, sin will undo me, but you, O oh Lord, can renew me and you can put a right spirit within me. If we can't join in in these words, we run the risk of sin becoming a cavity that causes pain and fear and becomes normal for us. God forbid that that would be so. Jesus promises, yes, that the Holy Spirit will always be with us. And I pray that I might do better in my heart than I have done with my allergies. <laughs> I pray that I might have the courage to regularly ask for a renewed heart because I don't want my sin to disallow me from nearness with the Spirit. And I trust that the Spirit of God is always with me. And I pray that my sin might not quench the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not easy. It confronts my fears and insecurities, but I trust just as David remained a man after God's heart by seeking forgiveness and wholeness, that I might do the same. So let the Spirit remain near and the witness of the power and witness the power that the Spirit brings, power to forgive and renew and to make whole. And then we too, imperfect as we are, might be counted as those who are seeking after God's own heart. Amen. As we head to the table this morning, I'm aware of what a perfect transition Psalm 51 is to this meal. Uh, a little bit more from me, I did, uh, in the midst of my sermon this week, I did go see an allergist, by the way. Um, got a bunch of shots, and uh, it was kind of uncomfortable and got some medicine, and I am on uh, a road to some healing. I have not sneezed yet today. How about that, right? How about that? Um, you don't need to clap for that. No, you don't need to clap for that. Because here's why I'm telling you this. This is why you don't need to clap for that. Why am I telling you this this morning as we start for communion? First of all, because I don't want any of you to come up like two weeks later and be like, hey, have you seen an allergist yet, right? There's some <laughs> accountability built in here that I don't want to feel foolish, right? And actually, there's a great sermon there, right, about accountability and what that means for us. Being willing to admit things in front of other people. But the reason that I went to go see an allergist is because as I'm reading these words and as I'm writing these words, I start to feel an urgency. I start to feel an urgency of going, I've got three years of of like backlogged, like ill health here that I'm not dealt with. 
and it's become so normal for me. And I gotta go and I gotta deal with this and I gotta go deal with it head on and I gotta get in today. I gotta get in today and I gotta do this. What I wanna say to you this morning is as we come to this communion table, in many ways, this is an opportunity for us to go and meet the great healer, the healer of hearts. Some of you might come light today to this communion table in great celebration for all that Jesus has done for you with a, with a light and free heart, a clean heart. But I don't doubt that some of you come today with a backlog of years and years of, of sin and stuff that has kept you from a fullness with Jesus Christ. What I want to say is the opportunity to come to the table today is an opportunity to come with a broken and contrite heart and say, I need help. And that is the heart of what communion is. I don't want you to come to communion today because you're in a right place or that you believe all the right things or that you can say the right words. I want you to come today because you know that you need God's help in your life. I want you to come today because there's brokenness in you. There's a broken heart in you that needs to be made whole. That is the gift that we offer you today as we come to the table. As we do 